Oh, I didn't take a drink. I should do that. All right. Welcome in to uh, another episode of the Hippies and Cowboys podcast, where we bring you the best of the country music world like nobody else will tell it. And today, um, uh, bring your seatbelts. We have Brian White of the Damn Quails. He's joining us. And uh, I, I don't even know where to start. But the it, it, yeah, it has everything, man. I don't even know. <laughs> like, this was the wildest conversation I may have ever had with a human being, and I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> all out fantastic. of love, all out of love. But it was one of the wilder conversations, if not the yes, wildest. yes, yes. That's in no way a slight. It was it was fantastic. It was a roller coaster the entire time. And I wouldn't have changed yeah. it for anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And on top of it, on top of it, we get to hear two, two songs that are unreleased that he he plays for us on on the show. Um, so that those are coming up um, for us. Yeah, one got... is titled "Everything Is Fine," and uh, that one you'll hear in the middle of the episode. And then we kind of close. Well, we don't really close things out, but at, towards the end there. Uh, Brian plays us one more called Peace in the Valley, King of the Hill. And, in parentheses. Uh, that in parentheses. Really, yes, of course, in parentheses. <laughs> Both really great tunes. And uh, he kicks things off, actually, with one of mine and I know definitely Mike's favorites. Um, oh, you bet. Fool's Gold. So. And and we, we, we throw in another another old damn quail song at the end too. We got dollars coming. That's right. At, at, the, very, at the very end for you. Yeah, yeah. That's the only recorded one. Ryan, man, he he belted out three songs for us on this one. And uh it was a real pleasure and a roller coaster of emotions and laughter. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Just fucking just fucking listen and, and make of it what you will. It it was it was a blast. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Um, we will we will stop flapping our gums. Please go leave us a review on Apple Music and tell one friend about this podcast. Well, just one. Yeah. Just one friend. And after that, you can go ahead and enjoy this. So without further ado, Brian White of the Damn Coils. You're on. All right. All right. Whenever you're ready, man. I'm born ready, fellas. Acceptance of failure and losing a game with a smile and a handshake and a quiet, ever-building rage. Got knocked around in a real small town, oh, and they poked and they prodded and they marched me around for a laugh in the snow. They tried to tear a good man's soul for a fool's gold, a beggar's bargain. It's too much time. And Space to get lost in It's one for the road And it's two if you can let it go Well now blood's thick But the water's deeper The wine works fine But the whiskey's cheaper Now turn it around Quick before your sun goes down 
a fool's gold or a beggar's bargain. It's too much time and space to get lost in. It's one for the road and it's two if you can let it go. Go, go, Lord, now blood's thick, but the water's deeper. The wine works fine, but the whiskey's cheaper. Now turn it around quick before your sun goes down. And I said, turn it around. I said, now turn it around, you quick before your sun goes down. Woo! Yeah! Oops! Dude, I, awesome. I almost Shit. had to mute my microphone because I was worried I was going to start oh, there singing we go. along. I took my headphones off to make myself feel more comfortable while <laughs> plunking this Absolutely. guitar. Cool. Uh, now, you know, I think my favorite thing about that song... Actually, it's going to be two things. Uh, my favorite thing about that song is that it's an interpretable thing. And like, it's the most simple thing I ever wrote. And people could put their own story into it. And what it, what it was about when I wrote it was going to jail. <clears throat> but nobody ever thinks that. They think it's about a, a relationship or they think it's about a thing. And, and they apply it to themselves. And that's the best thing about that song. The second best thing is that I said turn it around. And yeah. the only... You know, the only reason that that became a thing is because I was trying to cue the band, but in music, that's not a turnaround. That's a, uh, uh, oh, it's another thing. Uh, you tag it. They, they call that tagging it. So they say the line, you know, that's a tag. Uh, so what I really meant to say was, I said tag it, but that didn't fit so good. So I said turn it around. It ended up being the cool thing at the end, and that's the part everybody like yells back when you're playing with a big crowd that knows who you are and it's cool as shit <laughs> I, yeah i i mouthed it i i almost let it loose but I have <laughs> <laughs> hey you know sometimes you gotta turn loose you gotta turn let loose the dogs of summer and the beasts of the wilderness or whatever fuck <laughs> yeah i hear you uh, that's my sister it's my sister kirsten white that's her sticker right there oh i got oh, you yeah. Hang on, I got you. Can't see it too good. There we go. There we go. Okay. Oh, nice. Sweet. That's a self-portrait. And then next to her is Campus Joe, the patron saint of the unprepared, who used to live in the TV repair shop right down from the deli on Campus Corner. And you could go, like, he lived there in the back on an army cot with his cat, and if it was, like, one in the morning and you blew a fucking speaker or quarter-inch cable or something, you just run down and knock on the door and Joe get up, and he'd be pissed as shit. If it's one o'clock in the morning and this old man's trying to sleep, but he's like, "Oh, get on in here! What the fuck do you need?" Like, <laughs> so yeah, that's I like those are two of my favorite stickers. I got you. For those who can't see uh, right now, if you know he's got uh, this guitar cover. Oh yeah, we're on the audio. We Oklahoma aren't we? Yeah. on there. We got damn coil. Oh man, I got somewhere. all kinds of shit. That that Oklahoma logo is actually Teague knives. Oh, oh, I okay, see. yeah, I can see it now. My friend Josh Teague that makes knives for me, uh, amazing knives too. They're really like super uh, forged and such. Oh, that's sweet. Um, shout out to Teague Knives. Um, shout out! <laughs> for those, I sing stuff that I do. For, for those who don't know. Or stuff uh, I need to remember. I, I feel like it's, it's necessary to say that, that Brian answered this, this uh, uh, video chat with a, with a hatchet held up. <laughs> <laughs> I really like sharp stuff, and I always have since I was a kid. When I was like six years old, I I took this uh, 
a knife catalog home from my mom's hairdresser where I was sitting there waiting, looking at this knife thing, and I didn't know how to order things out of a catalog, so I did just write a letter to the, the company, and it was like, to whom it may concern, I'd like to purchase this machete, which is blah, 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 you know. And I put like $12 and my mom took it and she didn't mail it because I was six and apparently it was longer than I was. <laughs> and so I've liked sharpshoots since I was a kid and I like throwing it at stuff and cutting stuff and hacking at shit. It's kind of fun. It's, it's mindless and my mind works a lot. So <laughs> That works out. We, we just had a hatchet throwing bar open up in Iowa City oh, in the last year. Yeah. My, Those my are roommate. fun, but it's more fun to do it. It's more fun to do it in somebody else's backyard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I go to Reed Southall's house all the time and throw axes. My, my buddy just cut his finger with, a, with an axe last night. Oh. I cut mine with he a didn't cutting cut wheel today. I, I should make that clear. He didn't cut it off, but he cut his, like, his knuckle open. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. He was drunk, so. That's well, that's a bad one. I sliced my thigh open with a razor-sharp knife from Teague Knives. Oh. Uh, and... I, I was making a thing for McClure, a stabbing stick that if you messed up in the studio, he could stab you with. And I was, you know, shaving it down and just didn't think and like sliced right through it and went all the way about that far into my thigh, all the way across. Damn. And I just got some shop towels and duct tape and I just covered, you know, I fixed it up. I was fine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's funny because that, that's exactly what he put on his too, his shop towels and, and uh, electrical tape. Yeah. Ele- Don't yeah. be a pussy and go to the doctor. Like, you're fine. No. Le- it was pretty deep. I was like, man, band-aid. you should maybe go get some stitches like tomorrow or something. He's like, yeah, I'll maybe go. I don't know. Do they let you in the hospital? Do I got to wear a mask? I'm like, I don't know. They'll probably <laughs> like, give you one or something. <laughs> I would oh, think that'd you- be like a freebie, like the cup you get from Eskimo Joe's. What's that? You're taking this one home. I would think the, those masks, you know, would be the freebie oh, right? you I get mean, from Eskimo Joe's. They probably, they probably are. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, we have Brian White here with us from the damn coils. <laughs> That's me. Sorry, I, tell you, I like to talk. <laughs> we haven't got to that yet. Oh, well, we'll hit it in That's the fine. intro. But <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a side effect. It's a side effect of my medicine. That's oh, yeah. Fuck it. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> a, real, a real talent. One of my, one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, oh, thanks, man. And... So it's a it's a real pleasure to be sitting here with you, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And that was Fool's Gold, by the way, too, which is one of my favorite songs from from them and ever. So awesome. Thanks, man. I wrote room. that song about uh, about going to jail in Kansas. What did do you, do you mind me? Do you mind me asking what you did? We have to ask. That. <laughs> man, the same thing I did all the other times I went to jail, which wasn't shit. <laughs> but that's what they all say. Uh, you know no like i i have a thing I, i'm a compulsive gambler too so i was at a casino every time it happened and it was just always a byproduct of some stupid thing like yeah so it's it, anyway i was playing with a band uh my brother-in-law's that was kind of a red dirt cover band but they had their own songs too and that band kind of shifted into what is now joel t moseman and the oklahoma uprising uh so I was in Kansas with them at a place called Captain's Place in Goodland, Kansas. And uh, Captain's Place, apparently not so safe of a place because some guy got shot out front of there the week before we played. And I didn't know this shit. Nobody nobody tells you when you get there, you're like, yeah, some guy died out front last week. Uh, that's 
So I, I didn't know that. So I went out back to, to smoke a joint in my car. It was my mama's car, actually. And six Goodland County sheriffs surrounded my car. And they were looking at me and telling me they, I had to open the door. And I was like, man, I don't really want to open this door. But okay. And I did. And he was like, man, what's that smell, son? And I was like, that's potpourri. And they didn't think that it was nearly as funny a joke as I did. <laughs> I laughed yeah. like they were going to laugh. And they... They put me in the cuffs and on the ground, and I was like, come on, man. Like, I, I didn't hurt anybody. I was sitting here smoking a joint. You pulled me out of my car. You take me off in the middle of a set. The guys had to finish the set, uh, set without me. And then I was in jail, and we took my mama's car, and so they had to take my mama's car home. So I was just, like, stranded in Goodland, Kansas. And I, But I finally got a hold of my mom, and my mom came and got me nine hours from home. Uh, so God bless her. Uh, and, yeah, and... If I'd have learned my lesson, it would have been fine. Uh, but I didn't. That's okay. That would have been an awkward drive home. Do you know? Do you fellas know the word recidivist? What's that? Um, I don't believe so. Recidivist or recidivism? I couldn't. I don't know. I'm Recidiv- a Recidivist. Re- a recidivist is a repeat offender. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Stout has a line uh, about a. It's in a song about a guy that. <clears throat> Just got paroled, and the line is, uh, Man, you're not supposed to be here, man, haven't you learned? I said recidivism is a long and lonely word. And that's a Charlie Stout song, uh, who's one of my favorite writers. So, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So, but yeah, I went to jail, and I got out, and my I got the best lawyer that money could buy. Uh, because he, and he was a friend of mine, but he had a company called Road Law that's just fucking fit, like built for musicians on the road. Uh, I used him a few times, uh, and he's hell of a dude. But yeah, so that was a thing. Uh, but I used to say in this uh, in the live show when we'd play Fool's Gold, sometimes I would intro, I'd be like, "This song cost me four thousand one hundred and sixty-three dollars and seventeen cents to write. That's one hundred sixty-three dollars and seventeen cents in fines, fees to the Goodland County Sheriff's Department, and uh, four thousand dollars to the best lawyer that money could buy." And we'd kick right into the song. It was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great intro to it. Surprised it didn't do that here. <laughs> Man, we had we had a lot of good stuff. Like I was a big fan of talking about the songs a little bit, especially in like the Americana like shows because we were on the national Americana charts. We got I think to number three with Fool's Gold when Fool's Gold was out and the record first hit, and you you basically shop an entire record in the Americana market, and we hit that market real hard. Uh, and we were, yeah we were above Willie Nelson for a week. And Yo-Yo Ma, and then Yo-Yo Ma ended up overtaking us, and uh, but we were up uh, for a couple of weeks at the really at the top of those charts, and we had a nationwide uh, hit on our hands that just wasn't taken proper advantage of. So <laughs> you don't think it was? So why fuck not? me. That's fuck me, Freddie. <laughs> you know? That's why I take the uh, the X's and stuff. Now, that was I mean, that was way so, back in what two thousand and eleven. Uh, well, we put out we put out uh, down the hatch in yeah 2011. 2011. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then four years later, out of the birdcage, and then yeah, four fucking years. What? That's a long time. Yeah, um, and then then a little bit of turmoil after that. You wanna? I, I've been always, well. The turmoil little... actually happened. The, the the turmoil started at the end of uh, 2012, beginning of 2013. Oh, yeah. uh, and led up to the recording of Out of the Birdcage. Because we, we wanted to start recording. That was the thing. And we went down to record with Mike. 
who was still involved in this thing. We were uh, we'd signed with a local record guy that was wanting to start a record label, and who had you know we thought had the the means to do so. And so we he ended up signing Mike McClure. Mike McClure signed us on Skinner's say so. Tom Skinner, he like Mike uh, McClure went to ask Tom because he was talking to this guy and was like, if you could give anybody a chance that you've seen that in the scene, like who would it be? And he said the damn quails. And that's why we got picked for that because Tom, um, it was Mike's ultimate confidant. And if Tom said it, it was law. And so was hence Skinner as law. That was my thing when he died. Um, but yeah, man, so that whole thing. And, and when we put the record out, uh, we put it out the same time Mike put out 50 billion. And so the, 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 the 598 record stable of artists was us and Mike McClure and Tom Skinner. And like, uh, and Mike had a hit with Horseshoe. It got up there. I don't remember if it hit number one on the Texas charts or not, but it got close. And Fool's Gold did hit the Texnet 50 number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that, that was a thing. And it was going well for a while, and then it stopped going well because of a lot of reasons. But things that I can't really go into specifics. But uh, it just was a bad time. Uh, it, it was a good time turned bad. Uh, we had everything going for us, right? Like we were the next band behind the Turnpike Troubadours to be the next big, big cool thing that that people liked because we had eight fucking people on stage a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we our live show was incomparable. We we had a, a band that I would you know, I would play any song anywhere if I'd ever heard anything remotely like it, and they would fill in the gaps like, and there was no no badness like it was all good vibes and all. Like no matter what was going on outside of it, the show on the on the stage was was bliss and heaven, and that's why people stay in those situations so long, even when they're you know you, you get you get a bunch of like you don't really get a bunch of well adjusted guys that want to get in a van and drive drive all over the place and dedicate their life to a thing that's probably going to end them up in the poorhouse and dead anyway, uh, but you know. You, you, so everybody, there's gonna be some clashes. You know, sometimes a guy sitting like a guy wanting the back seat all the time, like man, fuck that guy, I'll fucking kill that motherfucker. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's getting stabbed in the fucking hotel in McKinney or whatever. Wait, did uh, that happen? And somebody, uh, yeah, that happened. We'll get there. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, fellas, he's he's in slowly roll. <laughs> I got a lot of history. There's a lot of shit went down. Um, so. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, so anyway, the label thing was going great, and then it was going not so great. We had a tour starting out in New Orleans <clears throat> with Reckless Kelly, mm-hmm. and we played Mardi Gras with Reckless Kelly at the House of Blues in New Orleans, and we were on a tour bus, and so we rolled into New Orleans on a fucking Prevo, and just windows down, hanging out, and like we were a rock and roll band at the at the height of our, you know, our rock and roll excellence, and like, we was fucking rad, man, like... I we we went from bar to bar after the show, uh, like we went to this bar across the way and we were, it was pretty shitty, and we asked like this guy and us do like hey what's the shittiest bar in town, and he he'd tell us to another bar and we'd go to that bar and be like hey what's the shittiest bar in town, and we just we did that all night, uh, and I don't remember what happened I remember lots of vomit but we were supposed to go from there and join. Joined Mike on the road, and, and that didn't happen because Mike parted ways with the thing. and So then we ended up parting ways, and there was a lawsuit uh, that was filed against us, and they served us at shows, and it was really embarrassing. It was really strange and, and really just 
there was a like a guy following us around that was pretending to be a cool guy that liked the band and he was a private investigator. Just fucking weird shit. And we were and we were having so such a good time and we were riding such a big wave and such a just a golden fucking moment that just was there and then was gone and was gone before we knew it was gone because it was three or four months before you start asking questions because that's the, th- the whole thing works in a three or four month cycle. Your shows are booked out about three or four months. Yeah. And so when, when you're going along and you get a hit, you get a number one and like all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, our shows are start like, they're still the same shows. Why doesn't it feel like we're getting bigger? And so you still kind of feel like, ah, fuck this. And then your shows get a little better the next month because you're like, oh, or the next three month cycle. And you're like, whoa, maybe we are doing something right. And then they get a little better and be- and like, it's just one of those things that builds in a, in a, uh, a direction uh, as long as all the, the wheels are greased properly to get it there. And then when those wheels don't get... You know, like when people get fired without you knowing that they were fired, like I, I had to find out, you know, months after the fact that a, a member of, of our team had already been canned and I, I wasn't, you know, didn't know, know about it. Damn. So that's kind of, it's a rough, yeah, and that's that's how then then you don't realize your show's going down at that point because like, oh shit, and uh, opportunities are getting passed up. There was a, a thing that happened with, uh, oh, you know, uh, we, we got an offer to, to uh, perform like open for Merle Haggard that, that we turned down that I didn't know about and I was like who the fuck turned that down like oh well it was only 500 bucks well fuck I'd pay 500 bucks to play with Merle Haggard he's my fucking yeah, no songwriter country hero he signed my PB Raptor guitar when I was 15 at the Biltmore Hotel parking lot like yeah, wow. I would love to open for Merle Haggard, but I didn't I, I didn't know about that And but I put my faith in people that I believed would uh act in my best interest and that doesn't always work out yeah that's yeah so so that goes from that the dude the lawsuit a lawsuit is really expensive and the thing is in in america and that just the way our justice system works uh if you have more money than someone else then the person with the most money wins and that's never the band (laughs) so uh, that's just one of those things like man we we didn't know what was happening we we we're just going and playing and we were in the moment of being a fucking rock and roll band that was slowly blowing up and having all this cool fucking shit happen and then all this really bad shit fucking happened like you know and like yeah man it fucking gets you down it'll make you do some shit that's dumb like stab one of your buddies in a fucking hotel in mckinney texas Okay, that's the second time you said it now, and I'm not gonna let it slide again. I we, oh, <laughs> you're like you're like a little little uh, Iowanian Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> I don't know what the you thing. just you 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 find a you find a storyline and you bite like a like a pit bull. Well, I, uh, yeah. I so let, okay, I can't so let you just say talk about you know someone getting stabbed in a hotel right, room. Right. Be like oh. You know, I'll that, barter I mean, with I, you. I, I I'll bar- your Twitter bio, ain't it, that says uh, no band-related stabbing since 2014? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, it, nobody pays attention. Thank, I, I'm, I'm glad you found that. That's one of my Easter eggs. That's the Brian White promise. If you notice, I change my location on Twitter every, like, couple of weeks okay. to something else. Like, it's usually, like, last time it was out on Dentonville, because that's a Tom Skinner song, and, like, or I'd be like Stabsville, Oklahoma, or like Stabtown, <laughs> USA, uh, and yeah, nobody ever notices or calls me out on it. At least and I like it. It's funny. Um, 
I have to have fun with it or otherwise I'll fucking, you know, hang myself. But it's one of those things. Uh, fucking. So uh, to know about the stabbing, you got to know the guys in the band. And our first in- incarnation as the Quails was a really a solid seven piece. And when we were in Norman, it was a nine or ten piece. Because we were doing the way the way to start a band. If you if you have songs that you think are good, and that you believe in, and that you can get other people to believe in, that are you know even people that may play instruments in the scene or whatever. We started playing at the deli every Monday night, and we had Damn Quails Monday Night Madness. And the Damn Quails Monday Night Madness shows went for several years. We kept them up a lot of the first couple of years that we were doing the blow up thing, and then right as we quit it was when everything kind of went to shit. Um, but we were selling out every Monday night uh, at the deli, which was a, like a 90 capacity bar. But people in and out, we'd get 160 or 180 people. Uh, and th- it was because we were two songwriters and we, we were doing this thing as a duo because you know, me and Gabriel Marshall, mm-hmm. uh, because neither one of us wanted to play a fucking three hour set at the deli every Monday or, or a four hour set every Wednesday at Libby's. Or a four-hour set every uh, Thursday at Mooney's. Uh, it's, Mooney's is a bar in Moore that we played at. So it, for a while, think of like from 2010 to 2011, even no, from like 2009, early 2009, me and Gabe were playing these three shows a week. Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And we had gigs every weekend. So we're playing five nights a week for two years. Yeah. And just... just that's how you start a band is you just, you fucking work it and you play every weekend something. Even if it's some shitty wedding that you get a couple hundred bucks for or you get free drinks and booze at some guy's house and like you plug into his rig, you take it and then you find those weekly shows and the one, the the, the deli was the one that we wanted to focus on the hardest because it had a stage that was very small, yes, but you can pack motherfuckers on a stage if they want to play. Right. And so we packed, we had 10 people on stage was the most that we ever got there. And it's not, it's not a big place. I can't just like, I try to, maybe the size of a Volkswagen and a half, uh, <laughs> at, at most area wise of the stage, Bob Moore, oh, who's a, a great Oki songwriter built it with his bare hands. Um, right. anyway, so we did the deli thing and you work that and it starts out, there's two guys on stage and then you get a third guy, the harp player who was Biggie, Adam Rittenberry, Adam Rittenberry, was my shadow for the past 10 years. If you saw me somewhere, there's a really good chance that Adam uh, Rittenberry, uh, who we call Biggie, because he used to be a big motherfucker, was usually <laughs> drinking somewhere around the corner. And he had just a bag of harmonicas, and he had some, uh, you know, a bottle, a hunterproof whiskey or vodka. And he would just roll around in my passenger seat. And I lived in Texas. I moved to Texas right after we released the record, because I've met... Uh, a girl that I went to high school down there and we ended up doing a thing like hanging out and I was down there for three years. And so I had to drive. I never got to take the van and sometimes the bus I wouldn't get to take. I'd have to meet the guys somewhere that they could drop me off on the way back mm-hmm. and I'd leave my car. But so I I put like, I don't know, I probably put almost a million and a half miles on cars. Uh, I run through cars like a motherfucker. But Biggie was my co-pilot, and we would have to get him booze, and he had adventures. He would throw up by the side of the road, and I'd take pictures of it, you know. As, uh, as and man, <laughs> yeah, And but we were going out with Mike McClure at that time. Like, we would go out as a three-piece, and that was the first incarnation of the band. And then John Knudsen, 
who ended up playing for Whiskey Myers for years, right. plays Will, Will Clark Green sometimes. Right, yeah. He's a piano player, amazing piano player, fiddle player, uh, dobro player, he, yeah, uh, he and just sings real him. good. We, we talked about him in our our last episode with, with Cleto. No shit. Um, Cleto, yeah, yeah, he came up because... Yeah, yeah, we were talking he's about a, how he's he, a he, brilliant. Left, he left Whiskey Myers, he's, and his reason was because he'd mm-hmm. been on the road for so long. But he, he played. I I seen him play at John T. Floors with uh, William Clark Green, like two months after he left Whiskey Myers. So he is the fiddle and the the fiddle parts on Down the Hatch and the piano. A lot of the piano parts. No shit. Some of the piano parts are John Fulbright. Uh, oh, he wow. played a lot of the keys. God, I love John Fulbright. <laughs> yeah, me and John were buddies for a long time. I love John Fulbright to death. He's he's a good friend, and we've oh. written some songs together. And yeah, yeah but incredible. Yeah. The yeah, so it was him and and the uh, the other keys, like the organs and stuff, mostly were Knutson. Oh, uh, and man, he is a fucking great player. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'll say about him. He's a, a great musician. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's a talent. Uh, so anyway, so we would start taking him, and then as you, you gain a little steam and you get these shows, well, when we got that record deal started, we could pay bands, and that was the, the point, was to pay the bands some money to come out and get the thing going, because you got to lose money on it at first. Uh, but so, but we had a seven-piece band, and our booking agent eventually was like, you guys got to cut it back to five or whatever, and I'm like, man, how do you cut us back to five and expect us to kick as much ass? We're going out as the Quails Philharmonic with seven-piece, and we're fucking slaying it. We got a saxophone player that is better than G.E. Smith, like, motherfucker, like... <laughs> Uh, he blew a note so hard on California Open Invitation at the Wormy Dog one night, he passed out and fell over backstage and broke his fucking thumb. <laughs> There's video of it somewhere. Oh, well, yeah, man. No, so, so you got this cast of musicians and characters and Tom Young, who is a, a, the brilliant, brilliant percussionist and drummer and, and a good friend of mine through the years. Tom was our drummer, and, and he, nobody drums like Tom. He's just laid back and just laid back in the pocket as anyone I've ever seen. And I like to play music where the the backbeat, like you don't play right, you don't play right on the click, you gotta play behind it. But you can't go so far behind it that you fall over backwards. It's like you're on a fucking uh, the, the Thunderdrome cycle thing that spins you around real fast at Frontier City. And you kind of lean back against it and you find that point where you're about to fall off the back of the knife. And like that's my favorite part to play of music, and that's where Tom lives. That's Tom's house, and so he was uh, our drummer, and he was their driver. And you go out with these guys, and you're out four nights a week, five nights a week. We played those first three years were 220 or 240 dates uh, a year. Holy shit! Well, yeah, we we were the hardest. We were the hardest working band on the scene for a long time, and and we were just out and. And that you spend so much time with these people that are these brilliant players and these people that you love that are your brothers and you'll die for. But if you don't talk about your problems or whatever, which I don't fucking like to do it either, but and, you know, if you don't talk about your problems, then your problems get expressed as actions and anger, and and that can end up in you know stabbing somebody in a hotel room in fucking McKinney, Texas. So we're in. We're That's playing all these shows, and right about right about the time that we get the lawsuit thing. Uh, brought against us that we have to pay all of our money all of our savings and stuff too we are like just to defend ourselves from a frivolous thing mm-hmm. uh and that just kicks you in the nuts real hard when you're when you're on a good time and then kicks you in the nuts and then you're taking shows just to afford to keep taking shows yeah. 
and so you're making sacrifices, and then we're trying to make a record, but we couldn't make a record legally because he was trying to lay claim to it uh, or whatever, and we we couldn't do that, so we had to wait uh, to record out of the birdcage, and that that wait it had a lot to do with you know why we weren't bigger than we were, right? But so we were playing all these shows, and and that happens, and things get really tense, and all the tension is all real built up, real good, like just real fucking tight as a drum. And we played with Cody Angel, who's a pedal steel player, bad motherfucker, uh, that plays. He was uh, Lloyd Maines uh, taught him a lot about playing pedal steel, who's you know Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks. It's her dad, oh, wow. and he's just on all these number one country records, and he played on on Out of the Birdcage. Uh, Lloyd's a brilliant brilliant player but his protege was like our go-to pedal steel kid and we played with all these kids for a while you know but cody angel rode with me and we get to this uh, gig in mckinney at hanks and hanks is a badass venue man like yeah. it's a cool place they feed you they they feed you good they give you booze and they they get you a hotel room right next door to the venue and so the cool thing about being in a band if you can park your fucking van at the venue and walk to your hotel like like i don't know, like walking across a parking lot that's a bonus. Oh, yeah, and so, nice. like, a place like Hank's, a place like Hank's is a cool bar that has cool people that work there that treat you good. You go back to, and, like, they'll have you back if you fuck up or whatever. Uh, so we're, we're there, and we're having a, we had a great fucking show as usual. All our shows at Hank's were right on the fucking nose. And you have those shows that are just, like, you can tell, like, you're a telepath. I don't have to tell K-Nuts to hit a fiddle solo that's badass. He was going to do it anyway. And, like, it's just who creates that and how do you perceive that in the energy sphere or in the ether? And, like, can you can you make people do stuff with your mind? Absolutely you can because I've fucking done it. I did it every night. Every night, all those 220, 240 days a year, that's what I did. And, like, I was the master of my own universe and I was creating a thing and, like, I had this giant fucking hammer of Thor and, like, that I could just... just bastard brains in of anybody like you want to come and see a show i fucking play you a show and like and it's just so cool how that all works but it only works when you're in that fucking like everything's right mm -hmm. and when things start to get rocky and like it's like you got a loose wheel on the trailer and you can feel it coming it's like oh that's a little weird but by the time you feel it coming the tire is already in the ditch and so are you and so um so everybody's having a good time and our bass player was a guy, like, I don't want to use a lot of names with this, but uh, bass player was a, a guy had been with us from the start, and he's a fucking brother, too, and, like, uh, you love the guy, and it was just, a, it was a thing that, that happened. Uh, and, uh, one of the other guys that was in the band, uh, you know, Biggie, he don't care if I use his name, uh, Biggie uh, was drunk, and we were all drunk. We had a merch guy that we'll call Peaches, who was drunk. And, uh, like, they're real drunk because you can get real drunk because you don't have to drive anywhere because you're at a bar with a, you know, parking lot from your hotel. And they're going upstairs. And I've, I've heard that in the police report, and I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that it's true and exists because, uh, you know, we had the police report at one time. Uh, it says, argument began over comment on penis size. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so um, merch guy that was with us, is kind of having some problems with bass player. He said something about him on, this is on the way up to the hotel room about having a little dick. And he was like, fuck you, man, you got a little dick. Fuck you. And like, they kind of get in one of those like back and forth, like, oh, fuck you, you know, whatever. And then they get in the room 
And Biggie's friends with Merch Guy. And does not like bass player either because they've had some clashes. And just because Biggie's a drunk motherfucker and says some shit and some, like somebody else sitting there in the wrong seat or something and piss somebody else off. And it's a little thing like that that happens a thousand times that you don't address. And like that shit builds up to like you going up and like, hey, fuck you, motherfucker. You got a little dick. And all of a sudden there's a push and then like they're in the room and they're pushing each other. And Biggie comes in and sees his friend get pushed. And he just starts swinging, and Biggie's just a big, big dude, and he starts punching really hard, bass player in the face, and like pummeling him in the face, and like, like to a point where it was gonna be a bad time for everyone involved. And all bass player can do, because he's a human being and God's America, and he's got a knife, and uh, he does what any sane person would have done, which is draw the knife and stab the motherfucker twice. I just wouldn't have stabbed him in the chest, but. Whatever, uh, because he was in a fight he knew he couldn't win, and it goes into survival and it's fight or flight and whatever. And nobody, nobody wants to stab anybody, like. But it's those those little things that build up, and like they they start they start as a little little shimmy, and then before you know it, it's the San Andreas fucking you know New Madrid fault line fucking <sighs> all of my dick. <laughs> and it's so yeah, he got stabbed twice in the chest, and he was still punching him when he. He looked down and saw his shirt was covered in blood. Uh, and he kind of stopped and he sat down and then he crawled out to the front. Uh, and there's still there, there was still a blood stain for a while on the carpet. Because uh, we got the same rooms the next time. Because Hanks, of course, when all this ordeal was said and done, nobody died. It got real close. It could have been really bad. The paramedics came and when they showed up, they go, uh, they go to Biggie's bleeding out front of the fucking hotel room, and they look at him. And they're like, "Holy shit, are you guys in a band?" And Biggie looks at him. He says, "Are you a fan of Red Dirt music?" As he's clutching his chest like bloody hands, and like <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "We're the damn quails." And like, "Are you a fan of Red Dirt music?" Yeah. So, uh, and they stitched him up. They took him to the hospital and they cleaned him up and stitched him up and he was okay. And the doctor came in and was like, you know, if you weren't such a fat ass, you'd be dead. Uh, because he was, he got about a quarter of an inch from his heart uh, on one of the, one of the stabs. Jeez. And it was a thing like, it, it, yeah, it was a thing, but it, it all got, when all went okay. But that hurt us really bad. Yeah. Uh, it did because, and we had to fire a guy because of it. You nobody wants to ride around with somebody who stabs them, right. and especially when you've got these other guys that are these great players. And like, so what do you do? You just replace. You, you have to. You have to cut your losses with that. And and we did. And then you know, Biggie ended up not being with us anymore for a while because he got a little out of it. And like, that's a thing. And people start having problems, and things start happening in in the real world. And and. You know, sometimes you get arrested again, and you miss a show, and and then you're you just kind of left out in la-la land. But in between that, you know, we raised $54,000 uh, on the Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, and to record Out of the Birdcage with David Abeda from Reckless Kelly, who's one of my favorite guitar players uh, and one of my favorite people. He's just a fucking stellar dude, the nicest guy uh, that you can imagine. And he played with Reckless for so many years since their second record uh, and just a brilliant man and a really really nice guy and we did did our record in Austin at 12th Street Sound 
and we had a great time doing it. And it was a different band because you go from that when that happens, a stabbing happens, you kind of your your shit gets a little changed up, and then things get changed up further, and uh, so you have to you have to adapt, and you can't force uh, a band to become a band that was already happening before that that's not the same people. Right. And that takes your sound, and you can either take your sound and, and try to, like, hell to recreate it in a way that sounds fake and phony, uh, like to a click track and do the same set list every night, which I think is lame as fuck. That's why I don't do it. Uh, because that, that takes away my ability to control the flow of a show and, and, and how the people experience what's happening in my head that night or whatever. And like it's all part of the show, mm-hmm. and I I don't want anything to stifle my creativity like that. But so you you get a new round new round of guys. Um, we still had our same drummer. We had our same drummer the whole time, which really helps because that's a core part of your sound, and that that is one thing that people would definitely notice. Sometimes people would notice a new bass player a lot of the time, right. but they'll notice a new drummer. Mm-hmm. And we had the same drummer for a lot of years too, and that was the thing. Thomas always been with us for a while. And then, then he wasn't. Uh, but uh, he's come back, and he still plays with us a lot from time to time. That's good. And he's going to be playing on my record, which I'm going to start uh, on the 9th, uh, finally. I had to put it back because of the goddamn COVID, Rovid, uh, Bovid virus, or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Um, sucks. It's really, uh, really uh, kicking me in the nuts here. Yeah. Coronavirus. I appreciate that from you. They took... Uh, the, the lead singer from Fountains of Wayne, who's one of my favorite bands, so fuck yeah. you, Coronavirus. Oh, yeah. uh, they took John fucking Prine, who's also fuck you. Yeah. Hardy fuck you. Hardy. Anyway, yeah, so I'll go on with that shit, but uh, that, uh, man, raising $54,000 was a cool fucking thing because you have to do it in a month, and when you set your goal at $50,000, you have to make it on Kickstarter or you don't get your money. Right. And... So you have to you have to whore your ass off and you have to become your biggest biggest vocal piece and you have to yell from the fucking rooftops to anyone that will listen to anybody that ever has listened to like hey man you got a buck like please like just you got 10 bucks fuck if you got 20 like whatever and I hate it I hated part of it but at the same time I didn't because it was to it was to make a thing that I really had to make because you don't put a record out like down the hatch which is a is a hard record to follow up because it's fourteen tracks. It is a it's a fourteen solid. It's, things happen sometimes randomly, and and they you get these songs that you're working like when we were in two thousand nine ten, we're playing these songs five times a week, and so we knew those songs back and fucking forth and front ways and back. I could have played them with one hand, uh, some of them, you know. Yeah. Uh, by the time we recorded them and it's great because we went into the boo hatch with Mike McClure uh, for the first record just knocked that fucker out in six days Uh, and we did our drums and bass at 115 uh, in Norman where Fulbright would eventually do From the Ground Up which is one of my favorite records Parker Millsat did Palisade there we did drums and bass for Down the Hatch Uh, Wes uh, owns 115 recordings uh, and it's a great fucking studio in Norman uh, and he got, uh, yeah, he was the one that produced Mike's record, so, or uh, John's record. Yeah. Um, and so the, a lot of stuff happened in Norman. Norman was the core scene of the while, uh, for, a while for a while. And then it kind of went to, uh, to Tulsa again. The scene in Oklahoma rotates. Uh, the center kind of shifts. And sometimes it's in Stillwater for a very brief time, and then it'll go to 
Norman for a while, and then I go to t- Tulsa, and Tulsa's always real popular. Sometimes it sticks in Tulsa for a while. But things were happening in Norman for that, that time during 2009 through 12 or 14. Um, yeah, so. But no stabbing since. No, yeah, no, we haven't stabbed. We haven't done any more stabbing. There's been no more stabbing. Uh, I've only been arrested like twice since then. So it's not a big deal. I like drugs. Sorry. I went to rehab. Rehab sucked. I mean, it was fun. It was great. And it was good for me, I guess. But fuck it. Yeah. But you're talking about uh, your new music coming out. And and, uh, I believe... Absolutely. I'm fucking pumped um and i've been i'm sitting on a cachet of like 30 songs that i've been i write a lot uh not not as much as like rick riley does but i write a lot of songs uh for for my style and genre i think and me and buffalo write songs to impress each other a little bit because we both dig the fuck out of each other's style and so buffalo rogers a good friend of mine i always like to shout him out i produced his record with mike down to boo hatch and it was a fucking it's called fair play hotel uh, and it's a brilliant record. It's brilliant. It's the Quails uh, without Gabe and with Buffalo singing, and John Fulbright's on that record too. Oh, wow. uh, it's yeah. He played. I played the baritone guitar and some of uh, the electric guitars and all the acoustic guitars, and Fulbright played keys and shit. It's it's really fun. It's a fun album, and the songs are incredibly well written. Awesome. And Buffalo wrote uh, Oklahoma Blue. <clears throat> That was on down. Uh, that was on out of the birdcage. Awesome. Okay. And he, yeah. So anyway, he's gonna be on it. It's uh, John Calvin Abney's producing my new record. Oh, cool. And he's John John Moreland's lead guitar player. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's also Quail. Because man, especially in like a scene like Oklahoma, there's dudes everywhere, and you're playing with all these guys, and so a guy can be in your band, and then all of a sudden go to a different thing, and blow up in one direction and then now you know he's going to produce my my thing with my friend Michael Trepanier at Cardinal Song Studios in Oklahoma City. I got gotcha. you. Well, let's if you want to, let's if you don't mind, let's hear uh let's hear one of your new ones that you're you're playing on playing. Yeah, here. for sure. That'd be awesome. Uh this uh let me uh let me wet the old whistle. <laughs> so, uh this is a new one. I'm going to take the headphones off so you won't yeah. be able to talk to me. I'm just saying stuff. Uh, so uh, I had a mantra for a while. And my mantra was, uh, everything's fine. Uh, but it turns out you can't have a mantra that's less than uh, three words. So I had to abort the contraction there. And I just had to say, everything is fine. Uh, and I, I'd said it so much that I just wanted to believe it. And you come to realize at one point, like, if I'm saying this shit so much, it's because it isn't. <laughs> So, that's kind of my, uh... I had pawned a good TV on the day it came to me. Everything worth having is one day worth giving up. And to make it all make sense would cause some great offense to the being in the sky that gets to pick who lives or dies or shoot it off. And when I for walk, far enough breathe the evening air and let the darkness still my heart. Somewhere beyond the rise, a billion pairs of eyes all peered at me with pity under cover of the night. But everything is fine, everything is fine Glory, glory, hallelujah, tell you everything is fine There is no pounding in my chest, beats in perfect time Everything's fine, everything is fine, everything is fine I 
I began to gag and choke when the storm had finally broke. Rain fell like an ocean from a black and twisted sky. And with each and every drop, I prayed it would not stop so I could find the sweet release and maybe finally rest at peace. I was denied. Everyone had lied. When they told me that the end would surely someday come in sight I stared till I went blind and till I lost my mind And I gave in to temptation to live life looking behind But everything is fine, everything is fine Glory, glory, hallelujah, tell you everything is fine There is no noose around my neck, there is no jagged line Everything's fine, everything is fine, everything is fine It takes a stronger man to weigh the pros and cons And users use and losers lose the thrones that they get buried on And it takes a stronger man to weigh the pros and cons And users use and losers lose the thrones that they get buried on Everything is fine Everything is fine. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Tell you everything is fine. There is no barrel in my mouth. We're going back this time. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. Oh, now everything is fine. Oh, well, everything is, 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 everything is fine. All right. Plus, you know, the repetition thing I find in songs to be a cool thing. Yeah, I know So I, I wanted to just hammer that at the end, because, like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's <laughs> out. And, like, that's cool. I got I, I like to make people... F the cool thing as a songwriter is you, you don't get paid to make people feel good. You just get paid to make them feel something. Right. And that's that's a fun... You don't, you don't get paid to make people feel good, but you just get paid to make them feel something. And so I could take a whole crowd of people and be like... You, you can take and play with their emotions, and especially if they're listening to you, you can see the tension in the room and which way you direct it is up to you, and that's a really powerful thing. And like that's one of my favorite things about it, because you, you have this thing, this tool that is, is the music, and your internal fucking processing of grief and of love and of hate and of whatever... You can see it happen in front of you on the faces of other people, depending on how you write your music. And, like, that's fucking rad. I don't care who you are. Right. Like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. And that's, so that's going to yes, that be on. That's making the cut for your uh, album. That's that is, out. that's going to probably be the, that's probably going to be the first single. Hell yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe. I don't, know, it's, it, I don't you, you never know until you get in there, but uh, it's, it's, it starts. Right with the words, uh, the chorus comes in the first 20 seconds. It's fucking two and a half, three minutes long. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually like right at three minutes. And like, that's, you know, you have to think about that stuff. And like, you just take the song, the, the song that's most likely to do the best in the widest market possible. Because if you have one of those hits, you can work on it forever. If you don't fuck off and fuck it up. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know to get a good single out there. And I haven't been in front of people as myself. Right. Uh, I've been in front of people as the damn quails. And that's, that's a whole other thing. And, and Mike, Mike taught me a lesson a little bit too late, uh, which Mike McClure, uh, when he was producing our record, not me. <laughs> uh, he taught me, uh, 
He taught me that it's really, it's the thing that you should do is have your fucking name in the name of your band uh, because no matter what happens with the band, you're still you and you want to be able to use that. And like, I have 2,800 or 3,000 followers on the Facebook and Twitter or whatever, and I got 35,000 on the quails. And uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, I'm, I'm coming up basically, uh, not necessarily at ground level, but pretty much. Uh, so I, I've got to wow people with my first record. And I'm going to because I've had a lot of time to write the songs. And, and like I said, I picked from 30. I'm going to pick 12 and maybe 14 and do a couple of acoustic ones. But uh, there's some really powerful material and some really uh, songs that I, I'm really into because I fucking wrote them and they're really good. I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited for it. And I'm it's even more great, excited yeah. for it because... I can hear how excited you are for it, which means... You know. Well, I want to give people a record that they can become emotionally invested in and, and, and really and listen to as a, as a full record and as a thing, not as not necessarily as picked apart, uh, which you can pick and choose your songs and you can do your shuffles or whatever, but there's something really cool about a record you can listen to as a record. Right. Oh, yeah. And like that's an experience and that's a trip. Like You make a 45-minute trip down the street or something like that's your whole universe for that 45 minutes mm -hmm. and if it's a really good time you'll do it you'll do it thousands of times and and i want you know i want people to listen to my records like that i think yeah, so and absolutely. and buffalo feels the same way it's kind of it's it's two separate things a song is a song and then but a record needs to be a record and so that's funny, yeah. that's funny. like I, I know like two two that i always go back to with that is like both uh sturgill records um Meta Modern mm -hmm. and uh, A Sailor's Guide to Earth, both of those. Like, there's a few. There's obviously songs that I'll listen to individually, but you know, once right, but it's not the record. Put yourself through that fucking experience again and listen to the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Entirety. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like I I will find a song like I listen to a lot of just uh, like Elliot Smith. Uh, I did this with a lot. Bob Dylan. I did this with a lot. I would find a song, just one song that that I would put on repeat for three days. <laughs> Just because, like, God, it is so fucking good. The Lemonheads, uh, Evan Dando has a lot of songs like that for me, where I would just put that song on, listen to it eight times, uh, because it's so goddamn good. And, like, there's something about getting a good song like that. Like, that's a song you pray for uh, if you pray, and, like, it's a song that you you work for and, like, that you strive for is, is that kind of song that's like, goddamn, motherfucker, that was good. Like... Doesn't matter who you are, that's a good song. And like, there's songs like that. And like, Wagon Wheels, a song like that. And it, it got played out because fucking Hootie or whatever. But uh, <laughs> it's it still, it, it goddamn, that was one of those songs. I listened, I listened to that song fucking 15, 20 times the first time I heard it. Ryan Adams, uh, Come Pick Me Up, same fucking way. Gets played out. You get 8,000 guys in bars playing fucking Come Pick Me Up. So all of a sudden, like, man, fuck that song. But <laughs> at the same time, like, Ryan Adams don't say fuck that song. Ryan Adams says, I'll open for the Stones the next tour, motherfucker. Like, uh, so it's a song like that that, that that you strive for is one that cuts, cuts across genre and cuts across society and culture and language and race and anything. And, and it just is a thing. Like, mm -hmm. God damn it. Dick, a, a guy in France can listen to that and, and have as, as strong a feeling about it as a guy in fucking Ethiopia or as a guy in fucking, you know, Wales or a guy in fucking Canada or Iowa or Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. Uh, a song, a song is a song, and that's what, uh, that's what the, the the most powerful thing I can think of as far as what you do. You make a thing like that, and that reverberates throughout throughout time. Can't disagree with you there, Brian. Um, <laughs> well, well, you can try. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try it. I'll. I, I will say that 
some you have a couple quails got, that, that <laughs> give me those give me oh, oh you, i didn't realize there. i wasn't looking he's got a hatchet there. oh yeah they can't see my hatchet hey uh so if you're listening to this, uh, minutes ago, uh, I, I held a hatchet up creepily and, and smiled at the screen. That was a screen uh, smile pause. I'm on the side of the podcast listener, not the viewer, with the fun jokes. <laughs> Man, the, thanks for having me on, guys. This has been fun. I haven't ever really uh, sat and hashed that that whole history out. And, and, and I know I got a little random. I, I'm a random guy, and so I'll let, I'll let one thing lead me to another a lot of times. So thanks for putting up with my bullshit. Um, yeah, hey, and yeah, that was awesome. And I'm glad we, we got to the stabbing story. That was killing me there for about 20 minutes. Um, no, yeah, well, that's that you know what that's called. Uh, Kurt Cobain's favorite thing about songs uh, was tension and release, and uh, what you got there was 45 minutes of tension and release. Oh, yeah. So I got you. Yeah, you that, know, was, that was an art form. How, sex how in a can, that. that's what it is. <laughs> Hey, if you if you have a few more He's, minutes, we do a, a segment with all of our guests. I got plenty of time. It's called the rapid fire segment. So you talked about yourself being. Oh, random. it's like the machine gun. Do you? It's, are you gonna shoot at me? Do I have to dodge? Nah. I, no. Well, I mean. I mean, you're like really. hundreds of miles away. Oh no! Oh, it's the thing where you ask me questions fast. Um. Yeah, we're gonna. Ask okay, I get it. Yeah, shoot, they're, shoot. They're random. You said you were being random, but well, these are there are impressions? These, Wait. Okay. So is. The, okay, tell just, me what's up. They're just random questions, and we're going to go back and forth and just give best, quick. Oh, so you want my gut answer. You want my, my instant reaction instinct. Yeah, exactly. And they're not, yeah. okay. they're not all music-related here, so this just... No. Yeah. Kick ass. I like, I like uh, movies, too. What's that? I like movies, too. Oh, yeah. I like movies, too. Uh, uh, anyway. I'm being all ironic. Right. Anyways, I'll I'll start I'll start this off. What's your I, I'm I'm very interested in this one. What's your spirit animal? If you had to say, what's my spirit yeah. animal? Uh, my spirit my spirit animal is a rabbit because I was tripping acid one time and I spoke to one with my mind for thirty minutes. Nice, interesting. Well, any good con- rabbit any good is the answer. <laughs> um, yeah, about? his name was uh, was Harold. His name was Harold, and his wife was kind of being a bitch or whatever at the time, and he was <laughs> kicking it outside of the hole. So uh, he told me uh, stuff about moving fast, and I don't That's do that good. So we had a good talk. <laughs> that was awesome. All right. Sorry, I had to I had to ask. Um, All right. Garrett? Mine is, uh, you, got any, uh, you got any irrational fears? Uh, irrational fears? I'm a little bit afraid irrational. of the dark. Uh... uh yeah, a little bit afraid of the dark, uh, and fucking clowns. I don't like clowns. Yeah, clowns those are fun. Uh, those are both. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy really ruined clowns for me with the whole killing guys and keeping them in the crawl space thing. That'll do it. Um, this one, uh, this one, I have to ask because we're the hippies and cowboys podcast. Are you more hippie or more cowboy? Uh, fuck. Uh, I'm more Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's also an acceptable uh, answer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, somebody called me once the Hunter S. Thompson of the Red Dirt scene. That's, I'm more Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, I, if I'm more hippie because drugs, but more cowboy because fuck shit. <laughs> yeah. That uh, works. That's that's a good. Yeah. So Hunter S. Thompson right in the middle there. Yep. Yeah. What's there uh, yeah? That's a good balance in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Doing um, it. All right. Still got it, boys. Still so, got it. Since you. Uh, Said you like movies. You have to pick an actor to play you in a movie about your life. Who you get to pick? Keanu Reeves. 
Keanu Reeves? Keanu Reeves? Yeah, well, I say that not because he reminds me of me, but because I just fucking like Keanu Reeves. Uh, he kicks some ass in The Matrix, man. Y'all saw that shit. He's That's fucking fine. Neo. He's the one. Uh, no, but I think to to really play me in a thing, Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he's fucking dead, so I don't know. Who else? Uh, gee, uh, who's a good actor that's bald? Brian Cranston. I, Brian Cranston could play me. I like Dope. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he can do it. Yeah. You pull it off. Bruce, Bruce Willis, maybe. <laughs> oh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis. There you go. Now that's you're thinking. Uh, uh, now you're thinking. Yeah, fuck. Ad, Bruce Willis would whoop all those guys' asses. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Um... What's your least favorite college sports team? Uh, all of them. I don't. I don't do sports ball. I don't know stuff about sports ball except for golf. I played golf in high school, and I'll watch golf occasionally on TV. But all other sports bore me on the TV. I gotcha. I, I mean, sometimes the axe throwing thing, but even the axe throwing thing's kind of pussy rules. Like they got rules and shit. I go to people's backyards and I'll chuck axes like fucking thirty feet. It's a good time. <laughs> all righty. That'll work. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah, fucking uh, hit me again. I This time put some stank on it. My question? Yeah. Sure. What was it? Um. All right. Let me see. All right. All right. What's, uh, <clears throat> do you believe in conspiracy theories? And if so, what's the one that oh, you believe in the most? The conspiracy theory I believe in, yeah. uh, the Mothman. I, I think the Mothman prophecies uh, has some elements of uh, you know, reality. Uh, the Mothman events that happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, I've seen the Hornet Spook Light, which is an unexplainable light of unknown origin classified by the military uh, that's out between Joplin and Missouri and the border of Oklahoma. I took Tom Skinner to see it because I knew that it was only me and Biggie that were awake and we got the directions from the bellboy at the hotel and went out there in this weird Hummer that we used to have to drive because they were too cheap to buy us a van for a while. And we went out there and we saw this light that looks like a lantern dance back and forth across the road uh, on a road called, the, they call the place the Devil's Promenade. And we drove up on this light. We saw the light and we gunned the engine and we drove right up to it and it blinked out and we would go up the next hill and stop the car and it would be dancing down the next valley. And like I, I've not. I, I thought I was crazy for a minute, and then it was just me and Biggie, and the car wouldn't start, uh, which never. It always started, and it would not start. I tried to start it three, four times, and I got out, and then that's the last thing I would do. Finally, <laughs> terrifying. Uh, yeah, so when Biggie was taking a piss, and I was like, "God damn, motherfucker, there's no time to take it. Get the fuck in the car." And I'm trying to start, and finally. It started, and so we left, and of course we were like, man, nobody's going to believe a drunk and a junkie, so uh, let's go get somebody that the world believes and has some faith in, and who do we find at 4.30 in the morning but Tom Skinner in the hotel lobby checking his Facebook, and uh, Gabe Marshall was in there, passed out on a chair, and we were like, dude, you guys got to fucking see this, and we drove them out there, and it was saw it again, so that uh, that's a thing I've seen. Uh, conspiracy theories, uh, there's some that, well, that's the thing, the government does not have anyone's best interest in in their heart uh are chrome that's a conspiracy i think that's just cold known, heart known it's yeah or whatever well conspiracy theories i don't know fuck man bohemian grows weird uh i was on the alex jones show a few times uh one of the lead anchors on the alex jones show uh, was staff sergeant joe biggs who you came to us or came alex with jones us 
Yeah, he came with us uh, as security to a couple of tours. Uh, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, he he's there's a video of him on the Infowars uh, pumping our second record. Uh, he was like, "You guys got to listen to Damn Coils Out of the Birdcage. Nope. It's a patriotic record." And like, fuck, it's rad. <laughs> so yeah, all that shit. I believe all of it. Yeah, no, David Ike. David Ike's the one that's got it right, man. The moon is a hollow planetoid projecting a matrix-like reality down upon us, uh, so the lizard people can feast upon our blood like batteries and like the matrix. So yes, Keanu Reeves. He'll play me in the movie. That's that's I'm gonna be, be the one. one of the most intriguing answers I've ever heard to that question, Ryan. Well, <laughs> what can I do? You know, I, all I can do is be as badass as I am. <laughs> that's all wild. right. Um, that's here, I'll, I'll throw this one. Don't at roll your you. eyes at me. I'll throw it. this one at you here. Um, what did the quail do to be damned? Oh, man. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I'd probably ask Jesus. Uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah, dams, yeah, pro- everything, drugs mostly. That works. But, I mean, you can't blame them. You can't blame them. Drugs are great, and that's why people like them, uh, but they, they fuck you up sometimes, and you gotta go to rehab or whatever, and that sucks, and I don't recommend that, but I recommend jail even less. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> but I do like drugs, so, no drugs. Yeah. Don't we all? Um, I'm not so a good, uh, what they call a good role model. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like to party. I like to have a good time. I'm fucking playing a band. Like, it's a goddamn, it's a 24-hour party for fucking six years or whatever, or 12, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's a few, a few years, a few years get a little blurred out, you know? Sometimes you take the good with the bad. Yeah. In the past right. the time. That'll work. Yeah. I, um, yeah. What was your favorite childhood meal my favorite childhood meal uh biscuits and gravy mm. yeah good yeah my grandma's biscuits and gra- uh, gravy is the best goddamn meal i've ever had in my life all right that, that's fair sausage gravy all right I, i'm very fair it's fair I, i'm very interested to hear uh, your response to this one it's my last one um let's oh you lost me on the headphones, so yes. I'll have to fix that in a bit. Oh, waiting on it. Can you guys still hear? You me? have to mime it to me. Actually, did we lose his audio? <laughs> I guess. Can we not hear him? Oh. I can't hear him. He's figuring All it right, out. sorry about. I told that. him he'd have to mime. Oh, I was trying to get you to mime. I was trying to get you to mime me the question. Oh, mime sorry, the question. No. That'd be awesome. My bad. Yeah, give me a miming. Is it still my turn here? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah, give me. Yeah, hit me. Okay, um, so you get to play a role in a TV show. What TV show would you want to go play a role in? Uh, the X-Files. Oh, David Duchovny? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. No, I was going to be Scully. <laughs> oh, well, I, I didn't say I'd be a character. You could be like... In the show as your as like your own character, but oh, in the yeah, in the show, yeah, definitely the X Files, or uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> Norm McDonald's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. If you've never seen it, he does it for a charity. He gets to a million, and he would have got it if he would have risked a half million. He raised a half million dollars for some charity. He, it's on the internet. It is the most amazing shit you've ever seen. Like he flies through it. Really, he's a really really smart guy. That was David Duchovny, you said? Or 
No, that's oh. Norm Macdonald. Oh, oh, I got you. Sorry, I missed that part. You ever watch Californication? I brought it back around somehow. There's a wheel. There's it's a David Duchovny wheel. Oh yeah. Um, you ever watch Californication, David Duchovny? Hell yeah. Dude, that's, one I... that's yeah. Okay, that that would have been a good answer too. Yeah, dude, that I'd be in that one for sure, dude. That's one of my favorite shows. Oh, <laughs> God, dude. dude, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. I've anybody? I've never seen that shit. I've oh no, yeah, yeah. Californication, fucking great. Oh yeah. I've been watching uh, Westworld again. Westworld's the shit. Oh fuck yeah. Motherfucker. And anything about knives. Sometimes I watch that like five buy five hundred knives for a hundred dollars, and I just so desperately want to make that call, but I know they're all <laughs> shit. <clears throat> but I'm like, we sell half of them at the fucking flea market. It'll be all right. The infomercial. I'm from the streets, fellas. I'm from the streets. <laughs> all right, Garrett, round us off here. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um. I feel like you're going to have a fantastic answer for this, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I always do. Yeah. You got to pick two people in a no rules mm-hmm, two cage people. no rules cage match. Anybody you want. Who you pick to fight? Oh my god. Okay, two two people, no holds barred cage match. Yes, sir. Um oh shit. Uh, Roy Clark and Buck Owens. What's that? Roy Clark and Buck Owens. <laughs> Roy Clark and Buck Owens uh, were on Hee Haw together and rumored to have hated each other. Uh, Roy Clark was actually a, a damn Quails fan. Roy Clark and Biggie's dad used to go on hunting trips together. Uh, and so, but yeah, Roy Clark's an amazing uh, Oklahoman uh, who passed away recently, but was a genius. Could play any stringed instrument and even built a few that nobody else knew how to play because he... He built them. Uh, so Roy Clark's a bad motherfucker. Uh, but him and Buck Owens, and Buck Owens also a bad motherfucker, one of my favorite musicians and guitar players and songwriters of all time. Uh, and they were on Hee Haw together and rumored to have hated each other, and I would love to see those two motherfuckers throw down. Like, no gloves. Fucking just bare knuckles. Interesting. Bare brawl. Well, maybe be on <clears throat> well, you... a good pay-per-view event. Yeah, you made That's it, dude. It, oh, yeah, man. for sure. That's our rapid fire. Or, uh... Or Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street would oh, be Bert a good one. <laughs> that might be a good one. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch Bert and Ernie <laughs> wail on each other. Way taller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, that's, maybe, that's hey, the maybe, opener. Maybe it's a tag. A, that's a the tag welterweight. Team. Tag team. <laughs> well, welterweight. Yo, ta- oh, tag team be good. Tag team match. Uh, Who, who's like Bert, yeah, fucking... Bert and Buck Owens versus... Yeah. <laughs> that's versus exactly... Oh, my God. Tag me in, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I've got <laughs> a you? puppet by the tail. It's plain to see. <laughs> Where the fuck is this conversation going? Oh, man. It's gone all the way to a cage match. <laughs> That's where it is. Uh, no, I, or, I don't know. Either that either that, or or the guys that stabbed each other uh, in the band. That'd be cool. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they'd throw down hard. I'd <laughs> see some blood again. Man, you'd be surprised how much blood comes out of a person when they get stabbed twice in the chest. Uh, If there's anything I learned from rock and roll music, if there's anything I've learned from rock and roll music, there's a lot of blood in the body, and you don't want to have to stab (laughs) one twice in the chest. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, and eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. I've seen people get scurvy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Being in a band's a lot like being a really poor pirate. (laughs) Modern pirate.
Yeah, a really poor modern day pirate. Hey, we come to plunder your pocket change. <laughs> oh, okay, now give it to us or we'll, or we'll slit your throat and f spoil your daughters. Or stab you twice in the chest. Stab you twice in the chest. There you go. Um, Don't look at me like that. Oh, all right, all right, Brian. You got? Do you have another song for us? I think, unless there's anything else that we haven't covered yet, which I find very hard. I got to songs leave. for fucking days. Yeah, man. Like, um, you want you want another new one, or you want uh, whatever the fuck you want to play, man. You, uh, whatever, whatever you want. If you want to, man. Yeah. You want to play a new one? Play a new one. If you want to play. I I want to play a new one. Plus, you know, I got the record thing happening. Right. Yeah, promote we, uh, the fuck out of that. Um, yeah. hang on. Let me find my guitar pick. I wrote this song in a town called Venice, Nebraska, out back of a bar called Bucks. Bucks and we were there playing, and I tried to write the song uh, out back where the cats come to catch the scraps from the cooks. And the cook hid uh, his weed and told me where it was at. And so I, when it started to rain, I couldn't write the song in the van because there was people in the van, and I couldn't write the song in the venue because there's people in the venue. So I wrote the song in the gear trailer the first time I experienced true hopelessness. If there's peace in the valley, I'm king of the hill. While you're running your rat race, I'm standing still. Washed in the blood of all this time that I've killed. So say ye whatever ye will. If there's peace in the valley, I'm king of the hell. If there's peace in the valley, I'm king of the hell. If there's rest for the righteous, I'm up until the dawn. I'm exalting Tom Skinner. Long since moved on. And I ain't slept a week now, not for weeks since you've gone. Love's let your long overdrawn. If there's rest for the righteous, I'm up unto the dawn. If there's rest for the righteous, I'm up unto the dawn. Now, but you can't expect me. To sit on my hand While you drift away on the wind Now just stare at this wall And I wait for a call Or the rockets to fall On the news on the tens Well, don't start a story That sucks me right in Leads me along by the hand like a friend And then takes off a running Disappears round some bend Well this can't be, can't be, can't be the way that it ends It can't be the way that it ends Oh Lord, Lord this just can't be, can't be, can't be the way that it ends But it is If there's peace in the valley, I'm king of the hell. I'm broke, I'm half homeless. Lord, and I can't pay my bills. And I always figured she'd get tired of my old red dirty thrills. But I just prayed that she never will, but she will. If there's peace in the valley, yes, if there's peace in the valley.
in the valley where I am king. King of the hill. I'm king of the hill. I'm king of the hill. I That's uh, that's called Peace in the Valley, and in parenthesis, King of the Hill. That was awesome, Brian. I, I really thoroughly right, enjoyed that, you. and and thank you so much. Thanks, thank man. Thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, tonight. Yeah, giving us a private show. <laughs> anytime, man. If you guys want to uh, want to do it again, you just give me a call. Now, Uncle Brian, come to town anytime you like. Oh yeah, it works for us, good. man. I'll bring axes. I, I've been building targets at places I go, so I'll just build you a target while I'm there, and when I come back, I can use it. There you go. There you go. You I'll probably ask you first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate so you. So much of a pleasure. Yeah, um, for for the listeners out there, remember uh, check out look for Brian's new new album when whenever he's able to record it. My uh, my website's actually gonna go online in a couple of days. Oh, awesome. I think it's brianwhitemusic.com. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I'm doing a Patreon uh, thing where I make stuff and like. People can sign up for Patreon. I'll make them uh, weird sticks and shit and send it in the mail, uh, stuff like that. Uh, so BrianWhiteMusic.com, the, uh, the record, we're starting recording May 9th, and I'm hoping to have it out, you know, August, September maybe. September's when we release Down the Hatch, and that seems to be a good time because you kind of get the next year's festival book and cycle and shit. So, awesome. yeah, the, it'll, it'll be out. I'm thinking of calling it Brian White uh, and the Knights of Excess as the band name uh, with K-N-I-G-H-T, which would be cool, but I don't know. I'm not sure yet. But it's going to be Brian White something. Brian White's Totally Illegal and Awesome Axe Park. Uh, watch for those coming to a backyard near you. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you, there you have it. Um, there you have it, man. Thanks, fellas. Uh, hey, man, if I could come to Canada, I totally would, but they won't let me, so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, I come to Iowa. I'll either. come to Iowa and hang out on your porch. You look like you got a good porch situation there. This is this is actually my guest bedroom here, but I do have a nice. Oh <laughs> man, so you got a guest bedroom? Well, shit, I might bring some stuff then. Yeah, there yeah, you, you can camp out for a bit. That's fine. You're you're always welcome. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be fun. No, I I play some shows up that way. I did like some house concerts and stuff, and uh, yeah, man, maybe I'll roll through and hang out for a day or two, and throw some axes and talk some shit. Fuck so. yeah, dude, my my roommate, he's an expert at the hatchet throwing bar in Iowa City, so. Oh, an expert, eh? Oh, yeah. so I'll we, show we, you an expert. We, have, we, have hatchets all <laughs> we shall place. duel to the death. <laughs> What's that? We shall duel to the death. Oh, yeah. Well, Yeah, I'll, I'll duel your roommate. And if I win, then I get to move in. Dude, he's, that's fine. I mean, we do have a guest bedroom, so you, you don't have to, like, fight to the death. But he is also six. Shit, he, yeah, okay, that's cool. Oh, yeah, well, that'll work, too. Yeah, what, whatever. Hey, we'll get tattoos. Uh, fuck, get fucked up, get tattoos or something. Yeah, dude, I need a new hey. tattoo, so that'll work. But my roommate, disclaimer, he's six three hundred pounds and looks like Sasquatch, so. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know, even, Wolfman, even Wolfman's got nards, so. <laughs> oh, all right, man. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Um, good seeing you. Thank anytime, you. man, anytime. Thanks a lot. Right, see you, man. How do I get out of technology town? <laughs> Found it. Right. No, I didn't. I'm still on. Jesus. <laughs> well, there you have it, Ryan White. <laughs> there you have it. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was Brian White of the Damn Quails, and now of Brian White and the Knights of Excess. Suppose, uh, uh, well, maybe. We're not sure. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs>
anyway, it was a lot of fun talking to him. I hope you all enjoyed it. And we are going to leave you with a recorded tune from the damn quails. Uh, we will leave you with dollars. Thanks for listening, everybody. Your mom.